don't know how many years ago it was, but I had three high school boys in my youth group. Tom Watson, Todd Billman, and a guy named Pete Roman, whose sister is so much different and wonderful compared to him. And trying to teach a lesson with those three guys was like herding cats every week. And uh, it's, it's just a wonder that, that God, by His grace and the Holy Spirit, I, mean, I, I, not, I, I can't think of anything I did that made a difference, but thank God for the Holy Spirit. I don't know what would happen in our life without the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of um, appropriate that today what we're going to talk about is what is taught and what is caught. You remember that day, at least those of you that are older and have kids, do you remember the day when, when you were a teenager, you remember saying, uh, well, when I get to be a parent, I will never say that to my kids. Or so help me, I will, that will never come out of my mouth. And then there's that day, it, I don't know when, what age the kid was for you, but I remember thinking, oh my goodness. I have become my dad. And I promised myself I would never do that. My dad used to say a lot of things. Or, or maybe you became your mom. I'm sorry. For, I apologize for you ladies. You became your mom. You said those things that you're like, I can't believe I did that. My dad, I remember, anytime my dad got really mad, he would say, or anytime we, he thought we were trying to pull one over on him, he'd say, look, son, I didn't fall off the potato truck yesterday. And I was like, what does that mean, you know? I mean, potatoes come in bags. They don't come on a truck. Um, another thing he would say, uh, and I learned really early when he said this, you don't, he doesn't really want an answer. But he would say, you want something to cry about? Don't answer that, okay? He goes, I'll give you something to cry about. He would say that too. Another thing uh, that, it's funny because I still hear, I hear my kids saying it now to their children, uh, it's, it's eat your green beans, they'll put hair on your chest. Green beans, I guess, has this magical thing puts hair on your dress. But the one thing I never understood, my dad would say, oh, for crying out loud. And he always did it, crying out loud. I never understood what he meant by that. But there's things that happen when we grow up. We catch certain things versus the things that are taught. Well, today, what are the big lessons that we want to pass on to that next generation? What are the imperatives? What are the commands that absolutely must be picked up by those that we deal with, that we, that we have under our care? Paul here says to Timothy, what you received, entrust to the faithful who will also teach others. What you received, entrust to the faithful who will also teach others. Let me give you a little background. Paul wrote 2 Timothy probably around 66-67 A.D., Paul is imprisoned. He's feeling very lonely. The reason we know he's feeling lonely, and if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to look these up. Um, in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them were Phygelus and Hermogenes. So he had some people in his entourage that deserted him. Chapter 4, verse 10, it says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So I believe Paul in prison 
He's an older man. He's starting to look at his life. And he's asking himself, what do I have to show for it? What, what needs to happen now at this stage in my life so that the Gospel goes forth? He's concerned here with passing this torch to the next generation. He's concerned with the welfare of the church which is undergoing per- persecution. And he urges Timothy to guard this deposit at all costs. To persevere in it. To preach it at all times. And if need be, to be willing to suffer for it. So he says, what you have heard from me, say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what you received, entrust to the faithful who will teach others also. So those are our three points for today. Let's look at these three things. What you received. What is it that Paul gave to Timothy? What did Timothy receive from Paul? Well, if you've got your Bibles, look at, look at some of these verses. In verse 1, chapter, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. So is he talking about this sincere faith? Verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, this spiritual gift which you got through the laying on of hands. Verse 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Verse 9, he says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus. In verse 14, he goes on and he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit. So what is it? Is it, is it a faith? Is it a spiritual gift? Is it the Spirit? Is it a grace? Is it this good deposit? Well, we could say in one word, he's talking about the Gospel. He says, pass this Gospel on. Pass this Gospel on to the next generation. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Basically, he's saying, Timothy, think about what we've been through. You saw it all. You were there with me. Remember when we went through those towns? Remember the persecutions? Remember the the patience, the faith, the love that I showed? All of that. Remember all that? Pass that on to the next generation. Timothy sat under Paul's teaching on his missionary journeys. He learned not just what was taught, not just the things that came out of Paul's mouth, But he saw the way he lived. He saw the way he interacted. He saw him on his best days. He saw him on his worst days. He saw him how he reacted in love when he was taken outside the city and beaten. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, 4 says, What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ. Guard that good deposit that was entrusted. You know, I grew up in, a, in an age where we ha- I had a youth pastor too. He's a guy named Vince. And then I look back, and I've, and I've thought about this multiple times because most of my life has sp- been spent in student ministry. So my model for student ministry in many ways was Vince Pinyard, a guy you'll never meet this side of glory. And you know what? I sat under Vince for two, three years, and he was such a good teacher. He was absolutely great, awesome, just riveting. 
He was such a good teacher, I remember absolutely nothing he taught me. You're going to walk away from here today. And as you all do, because we, we all do this, you're going to say, so, what would you think of the sermon? Well, I remember point one and point two. I don't know, what was the third point, you know? You're going to forget. I don't remember any of Vince's points. I remember a couple stories he taught. I remember most of all, though, the way he loved Jesus, the way he loved his wife, the way he loved students, the way he interacted with them. I caught more than was ever taught. That's the way we all are. We catch a lot. But the words that come out, the three points, maybe an illustration, we tend to forget those things. So what have you received? What truths do you possess at this point in your life? Do you understand grace? I'm not talking about understanding the gospel, but do you really understand what grace is? Do you understand Christ's power within you and the work of the Holy Spirit? And do you say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now in this moment to help me deal with this situation? Have you experienced the joy that comes from serving, especially serving people that you get nothing from in return? Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to clearly communicate to somebody, Christ came, Christ died, we put our faith in Christ, we're restored in relationship with, with God. Do you know how to do that? Have you suffered for righteousness' sake? Do you know what it means to conform to the image of Christ, to become more and more like Christ? Have you experienced God's provision? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's going to provide for me? Why? Because he's my, he's my dad. My father's going to... Do you understand that message? Or are you still like, eh, I hope God will give me what I need in this situation? Do you understand God's sovereignty, that everything that happens, God could... All these things that we're talking about here, these are the truths of the gospel. What have you received? You've got to think those things through. Secondly, what you receive, we need to entrust to the faithful. This word entrust is an imperative. It's a command which requires immediate action. It doesn't say, hey, if you've learned something, someday if you want to, tell somebody else about it. No, it says, hey, you've got this, now pass it on now. That's the idea. Give it away quickly. And the word entrust is a very unique word. It actually means to store up, to commit to, to leave in good hands, to transmit. It's used by Christ when it says, He set before them a parable. He entrusted with them a parable. In other words, He said, here's, here's a story you need to get. Get this in your brain. I'm going to entrust this to you. It's also the same word where uh, He's commissioning the twelve to go out and spread God's Word. He, said, he says, eat what is, what is set before you when you go into all these towns. In other words, entrust what's set before you. Now think about that for a moment. We're going to go home in a minute, go out to eat. When I, when I take a piece of apple pie in my mouth, I've entrusted myself to it, right? And I can't go, you know, apple pie, there's a place I don't want you to reside. Because as I get older, it's harder and harder to get rid of this. I would say, you know, I want that apple pie to come right here and give me a big muscle. But it doesn't, right? I'm just committed to it, and it's committed to me, and it's going to go and do what it wants to do, right? So the idea is when you entrust something, you give it away. They take it in, and it, it, it does its work. He says, entrust to the faithful. 
Who are the faithful? Don't assume just because we're all here in church, we're faithful. I, I think it's great that you're here in church. But a faithful person is a person, they're believing, they're trustworthy, they're reliable. These are the co-workers in the faith. They have the marks of true faith. These are people who are committed to God, and they're committed that God's going to carry them the distance. The way I like to put it is, when I think of faithful people, they're fat. They're faithful, they're committed, they're available, all right, and they're teachable. We've all met that person that's not teachable. It's like talking to a piece of wood, you know, this... Are they available? Do they make themselves available? Now here, you guys got these today, right? You're faithful, you're here. You're available, you make yourself... Now the other thing is this, let me think about this. You can be here and not be really available, right? We can be checking out, thinking about where we're going to eat, thinking, I wish that guy would just shut up, whatever it is. But are you listening? Are you taking this in? And then are you teachable? Are you allowing God to do His work there? How do we entrust the gospel to the faithful. First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this, he says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. In short, we share our lives with people. It's not just being together at church. It's really all of that. It's going shopping together. It's having a meal together. It's kids having a play day together. And it's in every way that we, we interact with them as we're doing those things. For years, I used to coach um, basketball, soccer, baseball at the, the rec center in, through Goose Creek. And I realized early on that a lot of the kids that were on my teams had rough, rough upbringings. And so there's little things that I would do just to, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't preach the gospel or anything, but there's little things I would do to help them to show respect honor their parents. I remember one time I was talking to a, a mother uh, about practice or something like that, and the boy, and the boy was probably about 12 years old, so he knew better, but he came up and he kept grabbing her arm. He's going, mama, 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 mama. Not the third mama, man. I was ready to snatch this kid up, but uh, I thought, no, I have an opportunity to teach not just him, but her, because the reason he, why was he doing that, do you know? He was doing that because she kept letting him do that. And finally, I, I think I, I said it almost in this time. I said, hey, stop that. This is your mom. She gave birth to you. She cleans up after you. She cooks your food. Show some respect for her. Be patient. She's having a conversation with me. When we're done, you can talk to her. And he stepped back, and she looked at me, and he goes, yeah, what coach said. <laughs> so, but in a way, we're teaching people life, right? Now, you're not going to have that conversation maybe with a coworker but you can teach them about life, about all things, and how your Christian viewpoint and your Christian worldview um, bear on that. So I have to ask you, whom, to whom are you entrusting the Gospel and the truths of the Gospel? Who is receiving the deposit that you're giving? Because whether you realize it or not, people are catching it, Right? Obviously, you can look and say, well, my spouse, my children. Yeah, that's easy though, right? Just by time spent with them, there's going to be a deposit made. But who else? This summer, you're going to have more time to strategically build new relationships. To build a sense of community. 
So as you ladies take your kids to the beach with other ladies or you have a play day, you're making a deposit in them. As you spend time, you see your neighbor out working in his yard, you go over and talk to him, you're making a deposit. Your coworkers, the people that you're there with almost every week. As you do this, be mindful that God has given you a task to make disciples by taking what you've received and to begin to entrusting your thoughts ideas, practices to faithful men and women. So what you received, entrust to the faithful. Thirdly, who will be able to teach others also. The goal here is to continue the heritage, the legacy of faith. It's God's plan for discipleship, and everyone's involved in the process. Now I'm going to do something a little unorthodox here. Um, Tom, can you come up here? Suzanne, would you come up here and bring your friend with you? I don't know if you noticed from this verse, but four generations are represented. Okay? Um, put, let's, put, let's put Suzanne right here. And you're there on the end. There we go. So here's Paul talking to his Timothy, which is ironic because Tom was my Timothy. Okay? Or one of my Timothys. So he's saying, Timothy, Timothy, The things you've heard from me, my way of life and everything, I want you to entrust to the faithful who will be able to teach others also. You see that? Four generations are are listed there in that one little verse. And I did this on purpose because here's the thing. We tend to think it was Timothy, uh, or it was Paul, there was his Timothys, there were some other guys and a few more guys. No. It's intergenerational. Look at the different ages here. It's Outside of families, nobody here is related except in the family of God, right? And whether she knows it, Suzanne has an influence on Mallory, right? But here's what's going to happen. In time, there is even people now, there's little kids now uh, that look up to Mallory, and Mallory's going to be pouring into them. Every one of us are in this line, this chain, okay? We're all being poured into by somebody, and we're all pouring into people, all right? Thank you. Have a seat. Paul's desire is to have this living chain through the generations. Let me give you an example from a man named Charles Colson, Chuck Colson. I don't know if you know Chuck Colson. He was in the uh, Nixon administration, went to prison. He was in prison. He came to faith. He started Prison Fellowship and Angel Tree, if you know those ministries. What we, you saw up here was a period of about 20, 30 years of people, right, age-wise. But listen to this. This goes from generation to generation, from, from century to century. In the 17th century, Dr. Richard Sibbs, who was a Puritan, wrote a little book about Christ called The, the Bruised Reed. A copy of the book fell into the hands of a tin peddler who gave it to a boy named Richard Baxter, who was also a Puritan pastor. Baxter became one of the greatest pastors of his time. Baxter wrote, among other things, A Call to the Unconverted, which a man named Philip Doddridge read in the 18th century. And in turn, he wrote a book called The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul. William Wilberforce read that book, and it so changed his life that he led the fight for the abolition of slavery. He became a huge influence in the 19th century Uh, British culture, and he saw the abolition of slavery in Britain just three days before his death. 
More recently, Wilberforce has been an inspiration for Charles Colson and the organization he founded, Prison Fellowship and Angel Tree. This is how the gospel has been shared for centuries. For centuries. You and I are here meeting today because whether it be orally or written, our faith has been passed on and passed on and passed on. What you receive, entrust to the faithful who will also teach others. Imagine you're, you're going on a long journey. Summer's coming up. And it's not just a weekend vacation. Let's say you're going to be gone all summer long. You're like, yes, right? But let's say you're going to be gone for three months. You've got to take care of some stuff, right? You deposit your money so you can get access to it while you're away. You take your house key, your instructions, the pets, and all the other invaluables. <coughs> Excuse me. And you give them to your trusted friend. You say, here's, here's the instructions knowing full well that that friend's going to take it, take care of it. The dogs are going to be fine. The house is going to be fine. Nothing's going to burn down. It's all going to be just as you said. That's what Jesus did for us. But he didn't just give us the dog, the cat, the house key. Right? They're not material things. He gave us eternal things. He gave us this gospel. Spiritual life itself. What you received and trust to the faithful who will also teach others. What you received, and trust to the faithful who will also teach others. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes it helps for us to stop and pause and realize that, that you have been doing a great work. The Holy Spirit has been working in my life, in our lives, and there's so many people who have spoken into our lives, who have changed us, who have helped us to grow, to become more like Christ. Father, help us to be ever mindful of this. Help us to realize that casual conversation, coffee with a friend, a meal, a day at the beach, has eternal repercussions. Help us to be willing to not just speak into other people's lives, but be willing to allow people to speak into ours, to be faithful, to be available, to be teachable as you bring people who speak the gospel into our lives. Father, may your gospel continue to go forth. May your kingdom be expanded. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.